For three little pigs, there was three pigs. One built his house out of straws. One built his house out of wood. One built his house out of bricks. The first little piggy went to his house. And the second little piggy went to his house. And the third little piggy went to his house. And the big bad wolf came. And then he said, little pigs, little pigs, let me in. And the pig said, not by hair of a chin, chin, chin. Then the wolf said, then I'll huff, then I'll puff, then I'll blow your house down. And the house blew down. And then the one little piggy went to the second little piggy's house. Then the wolf came. Little pigs, little pigs, let me in. Not by the hair of our chinny chin chins. Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. And then the little piggies went to the first little piggy's house. And the wolf came. Little pigs, little pigs, let me in. Not by the hair of our chinny chin chins. Then I'll huff. Then I'll puff, and I'll blow your house down. He tried, but he didn't blow it down because it was made out of bricks. They were safely safe, and they lived happily ever after. The end. The three, the three little pigs. Did you ever think you would see the three little pigs in church, or at least in, in adult services? Show of hands. How many of you have heard of the story of the three little pigs? Really? Yeah, most all of you. Do you remember that there's a moral to the story? Or at least the fact um, that the story was used to teach about a life truth? About the effects of planning, of hard work that would provide security and stability in life? It was hidden behind how the three little pigs went about using their day and building their house. Well, the three little pigs is a parable. We probably wouldn't have called it a parable. We would have called it a fairy tale. But it was a story. It was an, it was an illustration that was used to reveal some hidden truth about life. And Jesus, he was the master at using parables in his teaching style. He would use everyday circumstances objects, relationships, that his audience, they would understand in order to describe or explain the spiritual truth about God and about God's kingdom. And today and next week, we're going to focus on a parable that Jesus used. And while Jesus had used parables in his teaching before, this one, it was different. The ones that Jesus used before, they were, they were simple they were easy for the audience to hear and to relate to the spiritual truth that Jesus was trying to communicate. But with this one and with subsequent ones that he used to teach, there was this increase in complexity. There was this difficulty in interpretation for the hearer to understand the connection Jesus was trying to make between the parable or the story and the spiritual truth. And it was this strategic shift on Jesus' part. See, this was a time in the country where there was spiritual revival. It had started with John the Baptist, and it had reached this fever pitch with Jesus. There was this amazing buzz about him because he was teaching with great power and authority like never before experienced, far beyond the power and the authority that even the best and the greatest of religious leaders and teachers might have used. 
And he was backing up that teaching with these phenomenal displays of power that could only come from God. He was healing the sick. He was calming the storms. And all of his teaching and all of the miracles that Jesus performed, they were meant for the sole purpose of pointing people back to Jesus. And because his teaching was so compelling and his, his use of power was so stunning, multitudes of people were flocking towards him. Tons of people were coming and they were being challenged to repent and to follow God. In other words, they were being challenged to stop walking in the direction of worldly things and to turn back and to begin walking in the direction of godly things. That's what repentance is. And Jesus, he was single-minded. Everything that he said, everything that he did was meant for that sole purpose of turning people back to where they would choose to follow God. And he was doing it like nobody had ever done it before. And yet with all the buzz, with all the stunning power and compelling teaching, there was a problem. For many of the people that were following Jesus, something was lacking. And Jesus, he could see it. Not only could he see it on the outside, but he could see it on the inside. It says in John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, that Jesus, he knew human nature. No one needed to tell him what mankind was like. And so even after hearing this stunning teaching about God's kingdom, of witnessing firsthand Jesus working in miraculous ways in their own lives and in the lives of so many around them, there were many that were lacking a real spirit of repentance. They hadn't authentically chosen to turn away from worldly things and back towards God. There was no honest commitment, no genuine faith, no willing to sacrifice or to consistently obey. Frankly, there was no changed life. There was no changed life. And Jesus knew many of them, they weren't following him because they wanted to have a changed life, a restored relationship with God. They were following him simply because maybe everybody else was. It was the thing to do. Or maybe he was meeting or they were hoping he would meet some personal need they had because they were broken, they needed to be healed, or they were hungry. Or maybe it just made him feel good. I mean, he was, after all, railing against the establishment. People like to hear that. Or maybe they came because they were the establishment, and they were trying to find ways to trap him. Something was wrong with them, even as they followed him. We, we would never be that superficial, would we? I mean, back, back then, this insincerity, it cut to the very heart of Jesus. And frankly, that insincerity, it cuts to the heart of Jesus today. I mean, back then, people were coming to church. They were coming regularly in masses so great that he would have to go up on a hillside to teach them. Or he would have to step into a boat and push out from shore because the people were crushing around him such that he was pressed right up against to the edge of the water. And so it is, we find Jesus in a boat. And he's ready to teach this massive crowd that has come to hear his message. And I want to read this passage to you. It's in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. It's on page 585 if you took a Bible from the back. And as we read it, I want to ask you to put yourself into that crowd. Can you imagine that you're not just hearing about a story that Jesus told people 2,000 years ago but rather that you're there, that you're on the shore of the lake, and that he's talking to you. 
Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. There he sat and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the forms of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still, other seed fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And that was the end of the parable. And there was no explanation to follow for the crowd. There was always some connection, but there was no explanation. And I know if I was in that crowd, I would be sitting there like, what do you say? Like, I don't get, I don't get that. And I'm so grateful that even his closest disciples, they didn't understand either. And so when the crowd left, they got with Jesus and they said, we don't get that. Like, what was up with that story about that parable? And I'm glad that they asked him because we get the benefit of the answer. Jesus explains that in this parable, there are three major elements that we need to understand. There's the seed, there's the farmer or the sower, and then there's these various types of soils that Jesus mentioned. And today, this morning, I'm only going to touch briefly on the first two, on the seed and the sower. And I'm going to spend more time on that third element, on the various soils. Next week, Rick is going to come back and he's going to speak in detail about the sower. But here's the deal. Let me tell you about the seed. The seed in this parable is God's word. And we know that it's God's word because Luke also recorded Jesus telling this parable. And Luke also recorded the explanation of the parable to the disciples. And so it says in Luke chapter 8, verse 11, Jesus, he just straight up, he says the seed is God's word. And we know that when he's referring to God's word, he's referring to the message of the kingdom of God, of the good news of the salvation to eternal life that Jesus had come to offer people. We would know that. And if you can imagine this seed, it's like every seed. It contains life. It contains a very distinct very particular kind of life form within it. And in the parable, the people would understand that the seed being scattered, it wouldn't be some hodgepodge mixtures of a a bunch of seed, but it would be a particular seed. Maybe, let's say, it would be wheat. In order to gain a harvest of wheat. And of course, they would understand that the intent of scattering the wheat seed would be that that seed, it would germinate, it would take root, it would spring forth the life of a stalk of wheat that would grow up to its fullest potential. And in doing so, it would generate more seeds. They were of an agricultural mindset. They would understand that. So there would not only be this growing and maturing of the original seed, but there would be this multiplication of the new seed. The hearers, they'd get it. The transfer of the truth that they didn't get, even though they got the agricultural dynamic, is that the spiritual truth is that the seed of God's word, that it would germinate, 
that it would take root such that a person would grow up and mature increasingly in the new life that was inherent in that seed that God had to offer to the fullest potential, and then that it would multiply. Does that make sense? So that's, that's the seed, God's word, and the new life that's contained in it. The sower, the sower's the farmer. He's the person that's tasked with scattering the seed. And in the time of the parable, the sower was Jesus. But we know as well, even in that time, Jesus began to send his disciples out. He sent them out two by two. They were sharing the good news. They then were even scattering the seed. And we know because of Matthew 28, 19, in the Great Commission, what's called the Great Commission, that we too, Jesus' followers, are called to scatter the seed. Look, somebody needs to scatter the seed. It doesn't matter how much seed you have, It doesn't matter what kind of seed you have or what kind of soil you have. If there's no sowing, there's no growing. I'm a poet, and I didn't even know it. If there's no sowing, there's no growing. Somebody needs to scatter the seed, the seed of the good news, such that it will land on the hearts of people, which brings us to the soils, four different kinds of soils in the story that Jesus speaks of. And the hearers of the parable, they would clearly understand that the realization of the full potential of that seed that is cast from an agricultural sense would depend very much on what kind of soil it landed in. Whether and how the seed is going to grow and going to multiply depends directly on the type of soil that receives it. Does that make sense? They would understand that. And Jesus is using this parable, that analogy, to compare the receptivity of those various types of soil to that agricultural seed to the receptivity of the human heart to the seed of God's word and the new life that's contained in it. So the soils, they represent various conditions of the human heart to God's word. Kapish, You guys understand that? And so I want to spend some time talking about each of the soils, and I have this huge request for you, that you would hear and consider with great humility and authenticity which of the soils may reflect the state of your heart to the receptivity of God's word and the new life that's inherent in it. Because as we sit here today, we're all one of these soils. As we sit here today, we're all one of these soils. So the first soil type that Jesus refers to, he calls it the footpath. Back then, seed, it would be sown broadcast style as the farmer would be walking up and down these hard paths that were around and interspersed in the the field. They would just be scattering seed. And so it was such that some of the seed would land on these hard paths that surrounded the fields or were in the fields. What would happen if you take a seed and you just toss it on a sidewalk? Right? You probably find your grass seed on sidewalks sometimes. What happens to that seed? Nothing. Well, maybe it, it, it lays there for a while and then people come and they walk on it or it gets kicked around or maybe a bird or some other creatures come and they just eat it and it's gone. That's what Jesus says happens to the seed that lands on the footpath in this parable. The seed, it gets trampled on. It gets swooped away by birds. It doesn't grow. It doesn't even have a chance to sprout. Matthew 13, uh, verse 19, Jesus explains. He says, the seed that fell on the footpath, it represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand. 
The evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their heart. And here's the deal. When the passage says that they don't understand, it's not just like they were confused. They didn't want to understand. This kind of soil, it represents people with hard hearts. It represents people with hard hearts. They don't want to believe. They don't want to be saved. They don't even think they need to be saved. And so the seed is cast out and it lands on their heart, but there's nothing there to nurture it. And so Satan simply comes and he plucks the seed away, much like a bird just flying in and swooping away with the seed that lands on the footpath. These hearts, they simply reject the gospel and they reject the changed life that that God came to offer. And what's crazy is that though these hearts are currently impenetrable to God's word, these people find themselves in position to hear the message. For whatever reason, they're hearing the message. They were in the crowd. They're in our crowd. They're in crowds all over the globe. They're hearing the message of God's kingdom and of this new life. And yet their, their hearts are so hard that nothing is happening with that message. And sadly for this person who has this hard heart, like the footpath, scripture says that the potential ramifications for a heart that remains in that state, they're tragic. They include this life here, and then they include maybe this life for all of eternity, separated from God, separated from his grace, separated from his mercy, in what the Bible describes as a very terrible place. But the good news is that even for those with hard hearts right now, there is this hope. God makes this promise in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19. He says, I will take away their stony, stubborn hearts, and I will give them tender, responsive hearts. And so if you come today and your heart is hard, as it was for so many in the crowd for Jesus, there's hope. My hope is simply if you came with a hard heart that you would come to understand that it's hard. The second soil Jesus describes, he calls it the shallow soil. The conditions for farming in many areas of of Israel weren't that favorable. In many places, the terrain, it was uneven, it was rocky. There was only this thin layer of soil that was interspersed among the rock. And so the seed, it would land on the shallow soil and, and it would begin to germinate quickly, but it couldn't put down deep roots because the rocks were in the way. It would absorb what little moisture might have been resident in that thin layer of soil, and it would actually sprout. But because of the hot sun and the lack of space and more water, the sprouting seed would soon wither and die. People would understand that when they heard that in the story. And Jesus explains this comparison between the the agricultural seed that falls on shallow or rocky soil with the seed of God's word that falls on this type of heart. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, it says this. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. These hearts are drawn to the message of salvation and the potential for life change with joy and enthusiasm at first but then they become repelled by the cost of following Jesus. They have these shallow hearts. They have these shallow hearts. There is this initial attraction 
to the joy and the excitement of watching God work. They like the way that feels. They enjoy the spiritual highs. There's usually high engagement at the beginning, but their true identity in Jesus never really sinks in and deep roots are never established. And so real growth never happens. And then subsequently there's departure. Maybe it's physical departure. Maybe we never see them again. Or maybe they're here, they're still here. They're still hearing the message, but there's a departure emotionally and intellectually They show up on many Sundays, but that really marks the extent of their relationship with God. And Jesus says it's not enough. He's not talking about the soil with favor. Often those that receive the message with this type of heart, they have this expectation that now that they follow Jesus, that there would be no more troubles in life, that they would be cost-free. And when trouble comes and there's cost to count, When the changes that they need to make are really hard, they just decide, you know what, Jesus really, he really isn't worth it. And so, and they bail. Or they just go through the motions. And the scary part about this heart is that this person may be fooled to think that because of the initial joyful, emotional response that they had to God's word, that salvation is theirs. But as Jesus said, this type of seed, this type of heart, soon it withers and it dies. And it's a tragic condition to be in, maybe worse than the hard heart because of the potential state of self-deceit that there is. Oh, I'm, I'm good. I gave my life to Jesus at that men's retreat. Man, that was awesome. And there's this initial phase of enthusiasm and engagement, but after a while, that dog just ain't hunting no more. Jesus does not talk about the soil with favor, Might you be of shallow heart right now to the receptivity of God's word and of the life that he wants to offer? There's a third type of soil Jesus describes in the parable. It's seed that fell among thorn bushes that were present within the fields. And unlike the shallow soil where the presence of the nutrients needed for life was absent, in the thorny soil, the nutrients are there, but there's obstacles that prevent the good seed from accessing them. I love that. But that's literally what's happening. There is this battle for the nutrients in the soil. And the thorny plants that are there, they're well adapted to rob whatever they need from the soil first. And so then the good seed, it gets the leftovers, if there's any leftovers left to have. Jesus later explains the meaning of this type of soil in Luke chapter 8, verse 14. He says, the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message but all too quickly the message is crowded out by cares and riches and pleasures of this life. This third soil represents those, they hear God's word, but their ability to mature and to bear fruit is being choked out by these thorns of life that are stealing most of the life-giving nutrients that are needed to make the seed of God's word grow, to grow strong, to reach full potential. This soil represents a distracted heart, a distracted heart. The seed of life, it doesn't wither and die like it does in the shallow soil. These people, they flirt with the Christian walk. There is some actual genuine action. There's some real surrender in certain areas of their life, and that keeps the seed of faith alive. But the life is either so, they're they're so tempted in life, or life is so demanding 
that they can't respond in a way that draws them with full abandon and with full surrender towards God, towards Jesus, and towards his leadership. Jesus talks about three thorns in this explanation of this type of soil. Cares of this world, lures of wealth, pleasures of life. These hearts, they get so bogged down with the cares of the world, with the problems that they're facing, that there's this loss of focus on what's truly important. Can you relate? Have you been there? Are you there right now? Are you in a place where there are such worries in your life, relational concerns, health issues, financial burdens that Jesus, quite frankly, is just off your grid as you find yourself consumed with worry and fear and anxiety? Are you there? I get it. These challenges are real and great. But it says in Luke chapter 21, verse 34, our hearts get dulled by the worries of this world. They get dulled by the worries of this world. And Proverbs 12.25 says that worry weighs a person down. And so the growth of the seed is stunted. It's stunted. It can't grow. God speaks as well of the effects of the lure of wealth on the heart. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Look, there's nothing wrong with material wealth and material things. God can be so generous in the way that he provides for us. But the counterproductive effects, they come when the pursuit of that money, the pursuit of those material things, divert our attention away from God and what he wants us to do. I know there are many people in this room that experience that. They say, oh, I have money, or oh, if I just go and earn some money, I'll have the house I need. I'll have the food I need. I'll have the things I'll need. I'll be able to provide that. And as they gain that, then they say, you know, I, I'm doing pretty good. I, I don't really need God right now. There's a, there is this obsessive power that wealth and materiality have over us, and it chokes the life out of the seed of God's word. It chokes the life out of it. And then there's this third thorn that Jesus refers to. It's the pleasures of life. God is so good to provide us all sorts of pleasures of life, like relationships with people and food and entertainment and food and recreation and food like kale. It's good for us. There's nothing wrong with these pleasures in life when we enjoy them in the proper context and relationship to God. And yet we know how easy it is to abuse these pressures in life, to put them before God. These hearts that are characterized by the thorny soil, they have an unbalanced and spiritually unhealthy focus on the world. They're distracted hearts. They're distracted by the cares of the world, by the lure of wealth and materiality and by the pleasures of life. And so that seed of faith, it stops growing and it stops maturing. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, think about things of heaven, not things of earth. And so, is your attention, 
Has it drifted? Is it focused on things of earth as opposed to things of heaven? Then you may have a heart that is distracted, that's characterized by this thorny soil. And finally, we get to the good soil. Finally, we get to the good soil. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 23, Jesus explains the connection between the result of the seed, the agricultural seed falling on the fertile soil with the seed of God falling on the fertile heart. He says the seed that fell on good soil, it represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Agriculturally, the good soil was deep and it was clean and it was soft and there was preparation of that ground. There was plowing, there was clearing, there was removal of things that would stand in the way of the growth of the seed. The rocks and the thorns and the weeds, they were removed to where the good soil, it could gain deep entry or the seed, it could gain good entry into the soil. It would find nourishment in there where it could grow unencumbered. These are the people who not only are receptive to God's word, but they hunger for it. They pursue it deeply and they grow and they mature. This is the soil of an open heart. This is the soil of an open heart. Those with this open heart, they're not like the people with the shallow hearts who receive the message quickly and gullibly, and then they fall away. And they aren't just flirting with the faith while being distracted by worldly things, such as those that are characterized by the distracted heart, but rather these, they nurture their hearts with things that will make their spiritual soil fertile. The three most important things that we believe that can help you to nurture your spiritual soil are things like vibrant, being in vibrant spiritual community and growing an intimate devotional life through prayer and Bible study and in passionately serving God's kingdom. These are the foundations of nurturing a fertile heart that's been opened up to God. And Jesus says, the telling sign of the difference between the good soil and the first three soils is that there's a harvest. If you're sitting here and you're saying, man, I think that there's some overlap, at least in those last couple, and, and I'm not really sure, the telltale sign is that there is this slow, gradual perseverance in growth that produces a crop. These hearts begin to produce fruit, and you know, it's all about that fruit, about that fruit, about that fruit. <laughs> If you tell anybody I did that, I'm going to deny it. <laughs> Seriously, the key point that Jesus is making is that the evidence of, re of a receptive and open heart, one that is growing to its full potential, is that it's bearing fruit. It's bearing fruit. And so you say, oh, okay, I, I get that. How do I know if my life is, is, is producing fruit that's reflective of an open heart and not some other worldly heart. And so I think it's appropriate to look at a couple of categories of fruit really quick that are produced by the open heart. I think there's this internal fruit that resides in the character of the person with an open heart. And then there's this external fruit that grows through the sowing of actual seed. The apostle Paul, he writes about the internal fruit. We find it in, Gal in Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23. This will be familiar to many of you. 
The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. He's talking about those with open hearts that have received God's word. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As you consider your life, are you consistently experiencing this kind of fruit in your life? Do your days most often feel like you're experiencing those things? Now I get the fact that there are times in our life because we're still susceptible to the influence of the world and our sinful nature where we may not be clicking on all nine cylinders. Do you get it? Nine cylinders, nine fruit, got that? Some of you mechanics in here are like, what did you just say? In general, are you experiencing this kind of fruit in the demeanor and the fabric of your life? And if you're not, if you feel like something has wilted, are you at least hungry to have it back? Are you pursuing that? That characterizes those that have an open heart. The second form of fruit that's produced by the person who's described by the good soil, it's based on them becoming sowers of seed, based upon them actually going out and scattering the good news about God's kingdom and about the changed life that Jesus has come to offer. And I hope that you'll all come back next week and hear Rick teach on that because it's important. Friends, every one of us in this room right now, we're one of these soils. Right now, we're one of these soils. In the natural world, soil can't move itself to a better place. Soil can't change itself. But unlike real soil, we can change. We have the ability, we have the capacity to change. We can hear, we can respond with receptive hearts to God's word. And so which soil are you? Which soil are you and what are you going to do about it? Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this story that you chose to put in your word, this parable, to teach us about the receptivity of our hearts to your word, about our hearts to the good news about your kingdom and the changed life that it comes to offer us. Father, I pray that for myself, I pray for the, all that are in here uh, this morning, um, that their hearts would be at least open enough to listen and to hear and to honestly consider which soil they are right now. And then I pray, Father, as only you can, that you would be able to, or you would begin to do the things in their lives that would move them towards this fertile, good soil where they would experience this great fruit in their life. And then where they would take that and they would multiply that for your kingdom. I pray this with great hope and great expectation in Jesus' name. Amen.